So first, let's just start right off. Kick, get it. I don't. Let's, let's stop at that. <laughs> kick right off. Start right in. Unsolicited, the pop cultural analysis that you definitely didn't ask for. Every week we discuss the politics, the philosophy and the personal of what we're watching, reading or seeing on the news. We're your Sydney hosts, I'm Jen Cuvray. And I'm Prudence Wilkins-Waite. And in today's episode we're talking all things movies with a discussion of the 2023 Oscars and our predictions. Woohoo! The 95th Academy Awards or Oscars will be held on the 12th of March this year at the Dolby Theatre in Los Angeles and will be hosted by Jimmy Kimmel once again. Mm-hmm. We are going to go through all of the um, nominees for the biggest categories, talk about our predictions, and then we can reflect mm-hmm. um, once the ceremony happens. Last year we watched the Oscars together. We didn't like engage with any press or media about it the whole day um because we wanted to just like be surprised by like the winners and the categories and stuff and then we're sitting on our couch watching the whole way through we're like oh god what what, what are our predictions we're like well will smith is gonna win the oscar and we kept talking about oh my god we are rooting for will smith like will smith is gonna do so well and then when it happened we were both like his moment and of course the whole think peaceful that happened where everyone was talking about it which is why we have helpfully refrained until right now. So you're welcome. It's now back in the zeitgeist. I look forward to many references to Will Smith. We actually, I think, give a bingo. So I'm thinking we have to put on Will Smith references, references to uh, climate change, references to uh, the politicization of the Oscars. Something about Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriends being super young. Something about Meryl Streep winning all the Oscars etc so <laughs> um before we get started i want to know who has been your favorite oscars host in history um i'll go first i i know a lot of people say ellen DeGeneres. a lot of people say like hugh jackman i really like steve martin he did it like back in the early 2000s or maybe the 80s i don't actually know that man doesn't age but he was so funny and he was like very wholesome and he has a really great way of like making fun of himself and i thought he's a class act and i think we should really bring him back yeah, I back that. I um like Billy Crystal. I think he is a charming figure, inoffensive. Love it. I also really liked Amy Poehler straight after the Will Smith thing, where she came out and she's like, "Did I miss something? What happened?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, good diffusion." You mean Amy Schumer? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go on to the first category, Best Picture. There are a lot of nominees. Um, I am going to list them and Prue is going to make a sound okay. <laughs> to indicate her thoughts. So, All Quiet on the Western Front, <laughs> Avatar, The Way of Water. Why? The Banshees of Inisherin. Ah, ah. Elvis. Thank you very much. Everything, everywhere, all at once. The Fablemans. Why? Tar. Why? Top Gun Maverick. Why? Triangle of Sadness. And Women Talking. Blah, blah, blah. blah. (laughs) (laughs) What else do they do? (laughs) Okay, so of these movies, which have you seen? Which do you think will win? What's your favorite? What's your pick? 
Oh, good question. I think it could be Avatar. Really? Only because I think the Oscars and the Golden Globes are all kind of rigged based on who you know and money that exchanges hands. And I feel like Avatar has been the most, like most people in Hollywood have worked on it. And that means that their votes are going to go towards it. I disagree because the Golden Globes are a key indicator of which films will win the Oscars and the films that won the Golden Globes for best drama and then best comedy were the Banshees of Inisherin and um, the Fablemans. I don't think the Fablemans will win because it's just not got that like kind of critical insight. It's not that interesting people aren't interested in it I, I don't care to see it and the banshees of Inisherin also seems kind of like a bit more like boring and bland and serious but martin mcdonough is a favorite i think uh the fablemans doesn't have political sex appeal you know you know when it has to have a bit of an edge to it um top gun's not gonna get it um all quite on the western front could is that a netflix original it's netflix and it's also a foreign film wow was it, would this be the first Netflix film to ever win an Oscar? Because I remember like Roma was in contention and then everyone thought it was going to be the Oscars. and Probably the first one to win Best Picture, but not to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. My personal favourite and the one that I want to win is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Me too. Uh, you were saying something interesting the other day about how you think that like cinema is like moving into its like kooky, like mm. weird era. Yeah, I feel like there was a period where it was really bland and a lot of it was like autobiographies, true stories, like just a lot of reimaginings. And then I feel like now we're really entering into like kind of a weird of a weird quirky time period where we're like, let's just like break the rules and like be super meta. Like we're we're trying to really push ourselves out of the box. And that's what I really like. Like you see that with Triangle of Sadness and you see that with Everywhere All at Once or Everything Everywhere All at Once. And there's a few others that I've been noticing because I just feel like We've had some really established directors kind of pulling out the same storylines, like think The Irishman, um, think, uh, dare I say, Tarantino's last film. Like there's just kind of average films, but these young artists are really doing some cool stuff. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Everything Ever All at Once is an A24 film, which is like the feature film debut of a directorial duo who go by the Daniels. The only other thing that they have done of significance is direct the music video for Turn Down For What? um another classic (laughs) um and it is basically like a science fiction multiverse uh, film but it is actually got this like beautiful emotional center about like the asian american family and the asian american experience so it's very creative it's very fun i know the multiverse is kind of like in the zeitgeist Mm. right now with marvel but it's done in a very like unique way and it is both funny and heartwarming and that's my recommendation for this year's best picture yeah it's just a very intelligent film because it breaks the rules like you everyone has within them an expectation about what's going to happen like when i I read once a book about how to screenwrite and once you realize that there are certain cues that get lined up it's so easy to predict what's going to happen in a film like for example if anyone tells you a plan in a movie they're only telling you that plan because it's not going to go to plan if you ever see someone be like okay this is the plan and they don't explain it it's going to go to plan if they explain it it's never going to go to plan like there are things that are just so obvious but the great thing about um these guys is that they just reinvented movies like in a really original way and that's the kind of life we need to be breathing into hollywood because it's become really stale yeah and also it is like very much like a full complete body of work like the amount of shots 
the amount of like time um, and thought that's gone into it. It's like a screenplay, you know, has been written over like many years, you know, it's like their kind of dream project. It's not um, kind of just something that like people want to make a film about this or it's not mm-hmm. kind of very like self-indulgent. Like I feel like, especially with Babylon, which is that new Damien Chazelle movie that flopped, um, people <laughs> in Hollywood love to like make movies about Hollywood and about themselves mm-hmm. and about those same stories. And I think this is really kind of creative and fun. Which film do you hate the most on the list? I haven't seen all of them. So this is going to be unfair. <laughs> <laughs> um i would probably say avatar like i'm just not interested in it i think that i'm aware that it is a great technological achievement i'm aware that they could not do cgi and motion capture underwater until this film and that's why it's like fabulous but i personally am not that compelled i don't feel like anyone asked for this i don't (laughs) think anyone was like you know what we need another avatar um i also i'm not interested in the fablemans i'm sorry i'm so sick of autobiographies i just don't like it i think it's indulgent i prefer to hand if i were a famous person this is what i would do i would hand my story to someone else because then you'd have a mystical element to like is it true is it false but when it's just a retelling it just feels really uh (laughs) self-centered I kind of get it in that like you know it's nice to like be able to tell your own story and to be of that level where you're able to do that and like big directors love to make movies about like how great movies are Mm. like I feel like Scorsese did the same thing with Hugo um yeah 10 years ago which is all about like you know discovering film and like the beauty of film and like that's great it's just not relatable it also has this weird element where they think like the film like the film industry is dying it's going like you know the way of um filming on film and that sort of stuff is not around anymore and like oh everyone's just like into the avengers and stuff like that and i just find that pessimism really silly and kind of boomerish because when you see <laughs> stuff like um what are they called the brothers what are they daniels called? when you see the daniels doing new stuff you're like no you just need to fund these stories because they're out there to be clear, they are not brothers because how stupid would that be? Both of their <laughs> name was Daniel. <laughs> okay, so um, on to the next biggest category, best director. I think probably based on what we were saying, you can guess who we pick, or at least <laughs> I pick. So that would be the Daniels. This is the first time a duo has been nominated since the Cohen brothers. Oh, cute. I like the Cohen brothers. I think Martin McDonald will win. I think there's love for Martin McDonough. I love him. I read his plays in high school. We read The Lieutenant of Inishmore. We watched In Bruges. He's dating um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who I also love. Um, I don't know if they're still... Are they still going out? Well, there was, like, a photo of... The, like, a shot of them at the Golden Globes together, so... Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. So I would love, you know, him to shout her out. Like, I think that'd be really cute. Mm. Um, so that's the only thing that's really guiding this, because I actually haven't seen this film. <laughs> Yeah, take everything we say with a grain of salt. I feel like we can move swiftly swiftly along to a bit of a sexier category, which is best lead actor. So the nominees are Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Anishirin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Meskell for After Sun, and Bill Nye for Living. A, who do you think is going to win? B, who do you want to win? I love all these people. Let me just say that out loud. Like, I think, except for Paul Meskell, who I have no feelings for because I haven't seen normal people. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I love all these people. I thought I underestimated Austin Butler, um, but he was actually very good in Elvis. Who I think will win is probably Brendan Fraser, and who I want to win is Brendan Fraser. <laughs> I agree. I'm very 
anxious that Austin Butler will beat out Brendan Fraser. Um, I saw Elvis, I thought Austin Butler was great. He genuinely gave a really good performance. And then I saw The Whale and I was like, Austin Butler can eat shit. <laughs> Brendan Fraser deserves this award. It was, can I just say, the most heartbreaking film like I have seen in like recent times. Like I was sobbing in the cinema. It is just like, it's so so deeply sad give a summary but very moving cathartic so the whale is about um an obese man Mm. um he is an english teacher and um it's actually it's based on a play um of the same name and it's by darren aronofsky not the play the film (laughs) (laughs) and it's actually very um kind of metaphorical because it's about um you know he's heavily overweight and he's kind of on his way to die and he's trying to reconnect with his his daughter um but you learn over the course of the film like why he is so overweight and why he's continued to like eat himself to death essentially and that you realize it's not really about his weight at all like that's um not really what it's about and there's this kind of underlying metaphor with Moby Dick which is something that they're like studying in the film as a text about how you know the whale itself is a metaphor it is a distraction from like the actual like um, core of the story, which is a lot to do with religion and and homosexuality, and um, it's actually very layered and very interesting. And Brendan Fraser is so good, and it's so sad, and I want his comeback, mm-hmm. and he deserves it. And Austin Butler can prove himself in like ten years' time because I think the Oscars love a biopic, and they always give it to the person who does a good portrayal in a biopic. But that doesn't necessarily mean you have like range mm-hmm. and. I think this Brendan Fraser has like proven he has range. Man did George of the Jungle and <laughs> now he's here. I think that's a good point. Elvis, you know, Austin Butler can diversify himself and then come back to the Oscars and improve himself, cut his teeth on something else. Um, I also think about the difference between the two films. Like Elvis for me is like very commercially viable, like probably made a lot of money in the box, off- box office. The Well, I don't know if it probably was as successful. I, I doubt it. It was like, it, it, it obviously is a more pure, storytelling film. I think about, I watched an interview with Viola Davis recently and she talks about the pressure she faces between telling a true artistic story through film and making sure something's commercially viable. And she tells it through the analogy of a sex worker. She talks about how on the streets, like sex workers are the apex of, of male desire, but they also, um, a lot of them have drug addictions. A lot of them have stretch marks from babies. A lot of them are single mothers. A lot of them are tired and like from walking on the streets. A lot of them have, um, you know, not enough money to do their hairs and broken nails. And, and you want to, as an actress, embody that sex worker and be true to her and tell her story because it is not just about male desire. And then the producers will come back and be like, we tested that image against the male audience and they don't like, you know, the stretch marks. They wanted to change that or they don't like, you know, this element of it. They they want you to be in high heels or can we put you in a G-string, like all this sort of stuff. And the pressures to like be so commercially exciting and to like tell a story that is entertainment beyond just like being truthful is a really hard balance to make. And that's why seeing films like The Whale are really important because it shows that telling the truth and telling something that is sad um, is something that should be supported in film. Also, like, that's amazing because you haven't even seen it. But the <laughs> whole thing in the film is he keeps saying to his, like, students, like, you have to be honest when you, like, tell a story. You have to tell the truth. I just want everyone to just be honest. And that's just what you said. You haven't even seen it. Guys, he better win. <laughs> <laughs> um, side note, uh, Paul Meskel is very, very talented. This is his, like, first 
film, first Oscar nomination. He's not going to win, but props to him. He's very, very talented. Um, yeah, good for him. And I also think Colin Farrell, like, he has had a great career. He probably also deserves it, but, you know. Your time will come. Number three. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to Best Lead Actress, the nominees are Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna de Armas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for To Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think we know who is going to win. Michelle Yeoh. Did you know that she's the first like Asian woman to be nominated in this category literally for like 80 years? Yeah, I heard a, well, I saw a Vox video about this where she's the first Asian identifying woman to ever be nominated because I don't know about Asian identifying. <laughs> no, no, no. That's a thing. This is the whole Vox premise was that there was a woman who was nominated back in like the 1920s or something, but she didn't identify as being Asian. She like what lightened her skin she did all these things to like integrate into Hollywood because obviously they wouldn't allow her to be in films if she was Asian but later like uh people went through her documents and they found that she was Filipino or something and she just like made all these choices to hide the fact that she was Asian so that's why um when the Oscars tweeted about the fact that Michelle Yeoh had been nominated they said that she was the first Asian identifying woman to be nominated that is random and we should probably not start using that term but <laughs> yeah. i'm just gonna say the first which is kind of fucked um because like yeah it's it's insane i hope she wins she fully deserves it the film deserves it and also like none of these other performances are interesting to me yeah i mean shout out to anna diamas i didn't love blonde it was like too artistic for its own sake like it is the opposite of the whale where it's like you were taking yourself too seriously yeah um but she's uh, incredible in the fact that she like taught herself english through doing films like her, she has an incredible story i'm sure she will do great things in her career Clay, kate blanchett shout out to a fellow aussie actress fellow as I, <laughs> I i'm also clearly in the league with kate blanchett but she um you know has an amazing career but i think she's won an oscar before she's got yeah she's got two so you know <laughs> Fun fact, Andrea Riseborough is uh, nominated for a film to Leslie. No one knows who she is, and the film made $25 at the box office in the United States. Literally no one has seen this movie. But there's all these articles about how she's, like, her mother or, like, someone, like, she's got all these connections to the Academy and got nom. Oh, my God, scandal. Will the, gold, will the Oscars go through a Golden Globes crisis? The movie is, like, just about this, like, alcoholic woman in the South, and it looks like... It's like blue jasmine, but like, like blue collar. <laughs> Cute. And uh, Michelle Williams, I have nothing to say. Okay, best supporting actor. We have Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inisherin. Inisherin? Inisherin. Brian Tyree Henry, Jard of Causeway. Jard Hirsch for The Fablemans. Barry Kogan. For Kean. Barry, Barry Kean for Ban Banshees of Inisherin. <clears throat> Okay, I think you should just read it. <laughs> From the beginning. Yes. Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inisherin, Brian Tyree Henry for Causeway, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Kean for The Banshees of Inisherin, and K. Hugh Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. You'll be forgiven if you've never heard of any of these people, mm -mm. which is why you're also going to take our word for it when we tell you that K. Hugh Kwan should win. He should definitely win. So you will know him because um, he was in... Indiana Jones. I mean, you obviously would know him from everything, everywhere, all at once. But he was a little kid in um, 
the Goonies. He had a really strong career as a child actor. And then he talks about the fact that the phone stopped ringing for a period of 30 years and then he couldn't get work. And so he literally just retired and he went into production. So he did a behind the, behind the scenes directing. And I don't know what struck him. He, I remember he spoke about it, but he decided to give it another shot. And he spoke to Chunk, who's another kid actor in the Goonies, who is now an entertainment lawyer and he or entertainment agent or something. And he wanted to find some connection. And at the exact same time, the Daniels were looking for that kid from uh, Indiana Jones, like the kid from the Goonies. They were saying like, oh, what's he up to these days? And it was like this perfect timing where he was looking for work finally after all these years and Daniels were looking for him and he got this dream job. And after all this time and all this waiting and all these no's, the door finally opened and he found his dream job. Yeah, and so the the thing that actually made him decide to return to acting was he saw Crazy Rich Asians um, and saw that, like, maybe, like, Hollywood does is willing to embrace, like, stories about Asian people and also that, like, they can be really successful blockbusters. And that's why, like, representation matters, and I think that's, like, really great because also, like, Crazy Rich Asians isn't, like, a serious film. It's, like, not a film that's, like, going to be nominated for the Oscars. Like, it's just, like, a rom-com, but, like, that is, like, just as important and you know, those films like have a lot of value in like the um, culturally as well. So I think that's a really good lesson. But yeah, he should win. He will cry. It will be so beautiful. It'll be so beautiful. Um, And what's the great thing about a lot of these films that are so commercially successful, like Everything Everywhere All at Once, Crazy Rich Asians and Parasite recently, which won the Oscar, is that it shows that these films that center, um, you know, Asian Asian men and Asian women and hopefully one day Asian non-binary people um, actually do really sell and like the whole excuse that Hollywood has been given is that it doesn't test well it doesn't test well but like now you can see if you uplift diverse perspectives like you can actually make a fuck ton of money and deliver a fantastic entertaining performance that is unique and the thing I like about all those films is that like obviously they have like an Asian narrative at the center and there's a lot of like cultural references and things like that but they are also generally entertaining they're not necessarily super like insular stories like everything everywhere all at once is like sprawling it's like sci-fi it's massive it has this really beautiful story at the center about this family and like migrating to America um and like Asian family dynamics. Um, but it's also like very, very creative and very fun. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, enjoy it, whether you're from whatever background, you don't have to find it relatable in those ways to find it enjoyable. Same with Crazy Rich Asians. Like there are particular things about, you know, like marrying into like a family of like massive wealth in Singapore and like your relationship with like your mother um, or like Judy as like an Asian child. But like, it's also, just like a rom-com and like a love story and really nice and so it doesn't have to be you know something that like every single audience member has to relate to to be something that sells and the best what i think is a really good part of it is that often racism isn't at the center of these narratives like so often i see especially with um like african-american black american films like racism for some reason is like the central story so like often you have like green book or you have 12 years a slave it's like can we have a film that doesn't have to center like black suffering at the center and i think what's really great about these films is that they show that you can just have great films that aren't just always about identity but are still very much imbued with a sense of what that identity is yes exactly i agree so next category is Best Supporting Actress. We have Angela Bassett for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow from The Whale, Kerry Condon, The Banshees of Inisherin, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Stephanie Hu or Sue from Everything Everywhere All at Once. 
I think the Jamie Lee Curtis nomination is so random. Like, good for her. But, like, <laughs> like it's not like she, like, did heaps in that movie. She was just a really fun addition. I love Jamie Lee Curtis. I also can't believe she's the daughter of the chick from The Psycho. Did you know that? Yeah, and Tony Curtis. Yeah. They're, like, Hollywood royalty. Love that for her. Nepo Baby, but we still love Jamie Lee Curtis. She's my favorite <laughs> Nepo Baby. Um, No, she is so funny. She reminds me of the nomination for I, Tonya of, what's her name, who won the Oscar for Supporting Actress? Alison Janney. Yeah, I feel like it's the same kind of vibe with that. Um, also great for Stephanie, too, who um, isn't, I don't think she'll win. It's her, like, first nomination. She's not been in much, but very exciting for her. And I don't know the rest of the women, um, but I hear Black Panther Wakanda Forever was a good film, so maybe that's a, that's a thing. I think this is the first time a Marvel movie has been in one of the, like, top categories, like, not, like, a special effects category. I think it's because Angela Bassett is, like, very famous mm -hmm. and, like, well-respected in her own right. Um, and also I think there was, like, people wanting to recognise the film in a more serious way um, mm. because uh, Chadwick Boseman died. Mm. Um and Hong Chao was really good in The Whale. A lot of, this is actually like a great um, category for like representation as well. That's like three women of color. Good. Okay, next we go on to best adapted screenplay. So we have All Quiet on the Western Front by a bunch of people. Then we have The Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. We have Living, we have Top Gun Maverick and we have Women Talking. Okay, I don't know if you've seen Glass Onion, but it's bad <laughs> like i am so shocked it is nominated for an oscar like it is not a well-written story at all mm. it like the like the it is it's not it's a lot of fun the first knives out is better but like just like in terms of how you structure a screenplay like i don't know why they did it like that i there's a massive plot hole and i won't tell you what it is because it's a massive spoiler but for those who've seen it hit me up for the plot hole also, I would fucking laugh if Top Gun Maverick won. Like, all, like all, we have All Quiet on the Western Front, which, if it's anything like the book, is a fucking brutal retelling of war. And it's so funny that you have two films about war who could not be opposite on the more opposite on the spectrum. Like, All Quiet on the Western Front is in, eviscerates the idea of war. It's like, you know, spoiler. Well, it's not spoiler. It's war. Everyone's dead. Like, everyone <laughs> dies. It's horrible. It's heart-wrenching. It is from the German perspective. It's about World War One. Um, but it really is introspective. And then you have Top Gun Maverick, which is like, let's go into the sky and shoot a bunch of people with our planes. Okay, I haven't seen the film. But like, it's so, <laughs> super pro-war and pro-American military. It's not pro-war, but it is pro-being um, a Navy pilot. And honestly, like, <laughs> at the end of Top Gun Maverick, like, they like land on the aircraft carrier and they've just completed the mission and like everyone's hugging and like they're all looking like in great in their aviators and i literally like thought to myself like genuinely wow i will never do something like that epic for my country <laughs> <laughs> it was like not bad um but yeah should should probably not win an oscar um i'm really intrigued to see women talking it's based on a play and it looks looks really really good but very dark and I think the last big category of worth, actually cinematography is kind of important, but the best original screenplay is the next one. And that's the Banshees of Anishiran, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans and Tar and Triangle of Sadness. What do we think will win? I think Everything Everywhere All at Once will win because it is like so original, like it's so good to see. But I also would not be mad if Triangle of Sadness won because I actually did think that was very creative as well. And like something that really tapped into like, kind of current mm. um like culture and and all of that stuff in like a very um like pointed way i really liked it 
Yeah, it's a far more subtle and depressing version of White Lotus, if that gives you any contact. So now for some miscellaneous predictions. Let's take turns. I'll go first. <laughs> if Austin Butler wins, he will spend the entire speech talking about the death of Lisa Marie Presley. He literally, in his speech at the Golden Globes, like mentioned his dead mother and then was like, but most importantly, thank you, Elvis. <laughs> Ridiculous. Michelle Yeoh will make everyone cry. She'll talk about being in the James Bond film and everyone will be like, she's a star. And then she'll never get another acting job. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's what Hollywood does. I'm so sorry. It's not what I want. It's what I think Hollywood would do. Brendan Fraser will cry. Everyone will stand up. Same with, um, who's the other? Kei Hee Kwan. Kei Hee Kwan. He will make people cry. He'll shout out Steven Spielberg and uh, they'll try and play him off, but then he's gonna keep talking. Jimmy Kimmel will like make some really like unfunny joke about like the Will Smith thing, um, and everyone will just sort of gloss over it. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet will rock up looking hot as hell. Um, so will Zendaya, and they'll probably have like a cute moment that I'll replay over and over again on Instagram afterwards. And what more could you want from an award <laughs> show? I will also say one last thing. Triangle of Sadness, definitely go see it. The lead actress in that movie is actually dead. What? Yeah, she died. Live reaction. What? <laughs> so you know how she had that scar down the middle of her body? It's because when she was younger, she was in a car accident and they removed her spleen um as part of some like life-saving surgery but that means that she's really prone to infection and so she literally like went to the hospital because she wasn't feeling well one day died later that day because she had like sepsis like she had like a, a life-threatening infection oh my god I know. the girlfriend and, yeah the main female character in that movie it was like her like a big film role like her career was like really just taking off how sad is that if, well, if they win, they're going to mention that. Yeah. Oh, and they so should. Sad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. I think there'll be a lot of tears at this one. I think it'll be really earnest. Often people will go off about like their political agendas. I reckon this one will be super earnest unless All Quiet on the Western Front wins. And then that'll be, I think, quite political. I think that's most of it. Um, I also something I always look forward to is like the performances of the songs that have been nominated. Um, and I don't know any of the songs this year except the Rihanna one. And a Rihanna Oscars performance would not go astray. I also think they're gonna make a sassy remark about streaming services services because they love to do that every time, and then they'll do a cut shot to all the people who are nominated from Netflix. Yeah, and like I'm not fucking getting Paramount Plus. <laughs> And on that note, uh, let's wrap up. We can't wait to see what happens at the Oscars. We will react if anything big happens. And we'll react if anything small happens. Let's hope something big happens. <laughs> Bye. Okay, um, see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal of the Eora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded, and we pay our respect to Elvis past, present, and emerging always was, always will be Aboriginal land.